the more you interact with the students, something I realized, and it took me a long time to actually come to peace with it. As a mom, it was so important for me to be a big part of my children's lives and do everything I could do. And it took me a while to figure out that not everybody had the means or the abilities to do that for their children. So sometimes I would have students who come to me and I would I would tell them, oh, you're going to go for this job interview, make sure you dress properly and this is how you're supposed to dress. And they would say, thank you for doing that because nobody has ever taught me how to dress. And I'm Libby Gladys. We're hosting the Tech Sales is for Hustlers special campus series. There are almost 5,000 colleges and universities nationwide, and only about 200 have dedicated sales programs. We are finding the leaders of those programs to get a behind the scenes look at how they're prepping the next generation of sales stars. Join us as we talk about their own career journeys, what advice they have for students considering a future in sales, and insights into what every student needs to know for a sales career. The Tech Sales is for Hustlers special campus series. Hello and welcome to this episode of Tech Sales is for Hustlers, the campus edition. Joining us today is Samira Amirpour, professor of instruction and sales coach at the University of Texas, Dallas. She's joining us today on the campus of Rollins College. We're at the conclusion of the Sales Educators Association Academy. Thank you. We're at the Sales Educators Academy, uh, which is a great annual event where 70 sales professors all congregate and compare notes and share best practices to make sure that they're coaching, training, and developing the sales professionals of the future. We have a lot to talk about. We want to talk about your background. There were some, I sat in on your presentation. I'm going to want you to share with the listeners a little bit of the, of what you shared with everyone today. But why don't we, we start by introducing our listeners to you and your background. Maybe if you could take 60 seconds and tell us a little bit about who you are and, and your background. Sure. Thank you so much for having me on. As you said, right now I'm a professor at UTD, but that is not how I got started just like many of us my age, we kind of happened to fall into sales. And um, for me, I started actually as an engineering major. In, okay. And that was back in Canada. And then life has a funny way of changing your path. And I met my husband very early on, got married, moved to Texas. Okay. So the choices for me were limited in terms of school I could go to, and they didn't have the engineering I wanted to study. And I decided that I just wanted to switch you know, to business. Okay. Probably one of the best decisions I ever made. I loved every class I took right now teaching. I love it. Not that it was easy, but I enjoyed the topic quite a bit. So after graduation, again, the, the issue was I couldn't leave the city. I couldn't relocate. Mm -hmm. And where I was, it was very limited in terms of where you could work. Was this El Paso? It was in El Paso. El Paso, yeah. Texas. Okay. And this is years and years ago. Yep. I'm going to age myself here. So <laughs> My husband had his own business and I started working with him in the family business. And then as the family grew and became more diversified, the family business grew and became more diversified. I kind of took on a whole new role and responsibilities. I was working in multi-housing, commercial. I was kind of a liaison working with military housing and the soldiers coming back. And so it was interesting. I think 
my last role before I actually started teaching full time, I was kind of in strategies. We would take over, I would redo the management, I would do the hiring and then redo the training. And it was definitely challenging. And at the same time, as I was doing all these, and then you have to remember, I have two little kids at that time working 12, 14 hours a day. And then the chair of a department who was my professor when I was doing my graduate work, she came to me and she said, we are introducing a new simulation and we want you to teach one of the classes for us. And me thinking, oh, I have this all covered and I can do it all. So I started teaching part-time and that was the start. And Part-time, uh, as a mom, as, as a, a mom. full-time sales professional. Yes. Just Well, my business partner says, if you ever want to get anything done, ask a busy mom and she'll take care of it. <laughs> the, the thing was, and, and it's very ironic because I'm like, oh, I'm going to teach just so as a stress reliever from my work. And it was fun because I really enjoyed it in terms of being in the classroom, kind of being able to apply the stuff I was doing on a day-to-day basis and teaching students. And I did that. And as I finished the first semester, they started adding more classes and adding more classes. And I went from one class to three class to five class. And because, all part-time. All part-time. <laughs> and it was because that simulation was kind of new. Many people didn't want to teach it. So they would add more classes. So I mm-hmm. would teach the simulation. And it got to a point that when you're younger, sometimes you think you can't do it all. Mm-hmm. And it starts taking the toll on your body. So I decided that I had to make a choice after I went through a series of sickness and, you know, surgeries and stuff. I'm like, I, I can't do this. I have to make a decision. And I and I couldn't spend much time with my kids. Sure. And the thing I liked about my previous job and being in sales and being in management was the fact that I had a little bit of flexibility right. to drop off the kids, pick up the kids. And many times when I talk to my colleagues, even back then, I used to say, it's one thing to be a woman in sales. It's another thing to be a mom in sales. Let's talk about that. It is tough. Oh. It's tough. I mean, kids still get sick. Yep. You have to juggle. It's a lot of juggling. But then I, at the same time, I had that flexibility. Mm-hmm. And I could, if I had to take a day off to take him to be with them for a field trip, I could do it. It, it was funny because... Probably my older daughter was maybe in middle school and somebody asked her if her mom worked. And she said, <laughs> I think she works. And I'm like, <laughs> but it was, it it made me feel better because as a mother, you always carry that guilt that sure. what am I doing enough? But she didn't even feel that I was working yeah. all those hours. So that was nice, but the pressure catches up with you mm-hmm. because, and I think the society puts a lot of pressure on a woman to to do a lot be a good mom mm-hmm. be a good wife be a good employee and someone's so, got to give exactly and I had to make that tough decision and I was enjoying teaching so so much and then as a woman as a minority being where I was uh you know of course being in El Paso teaching at UTEP that they had a very large Hispanic population students came to me all the time and they were like oh you're such a great role model and and it felt good that I was able to make those differences in sure so I finally had to make that decision went to the dean and I said I need either you have to hire me Mm full-time so I can put somebody in my place or I can continue doing this and I probably have to let go of teaching if it is just part-time and he said okay and that's how I started teaching full-time wow (laughs) 
Yeah. So ultimatums work is what I'm hearing. It was back, matter of fact. Matter of fact, I was very honest. And I think even at the time that, I mean, academia is an interesting world because many people have to do a lot of research. Mm -hmm. We have to put in a lot of service. But as a part-time, many times you just come in, teach and go. Right. But anytime they ask me to do any kind of service, if I could do it, I did it. Right. And it just goes back to the fact that if you're just solely working for that paycheck, people would know from a mile. Right. But if you are doing your job because you're enjoying it and you actually want to help and you actually go above and beyond, people also notice that. So it was one of those things that I appreciate the fact that the dean at the time appreciated that I was able to do. So I started teaching full time. And it helped because at that time I could choose what classes, or at least they gave me two sets of classes and I would have that planning guide and having like five different prep work that I had to work on and do that. So I did that. So I was at UTEP part-time, full-time for about seven years. Okay. And then we were planning to move to Dallas and my daughter, my older daughter was starting high school. So that was the right time for us mm -hmm. to move. So I moved to Dallas and didn't teach for one year that when that trans transition was happening but i went back to do a lot of work behind the scene because when i was working with a family business i was doing a lot of account management and okay. a lot of just calling on customers helping helping coach and lead so i was able to do some of that plus some consulting with like smaller businesses and stuff but Back then, it wasn't, and it's not a long time ago, but for many people, at least for me, I had never worked from home. I always went to the office, mm -hmm. and that was an adjustment. I realized very quickly that I had very discipline when it came to working from home. So I had to come up with a strategy. Otherwise, stuff were just piling up, and I couldn't catch up. Right. So I would actually wake up in the morning and change and get my coffee and go to my office and close the door and pretend I was in the office. So I would actually focus and accomplish stuff. And then I had applied for UTD and the sales position opened up and that's how I joined UTD. And Is that when, 10 years. In 10 years. Uh -huh. Is that when you started teaching sales or did you, did no, you also I, I taught, taught to, sales at UTEP? At UTEP okay. Sales have, you know, Many universities have sales classes, but how they teach it is different. Mm -hmm. We didn't have a sales program. Okay. But we did have sales. I mean, we would teach the concept and the process and asking questions. And I stuff, see. But it wasn't so much the way that you do it right now at right. all. Not, not, nothing like what's happening right now. Sure. So yes, I did have that experience. I took a sales class way back when, mm -hmm. when I was, that was something like, oh, I have to take this course because it's part of the requirement for the marketing. And it would never dawned on me that any of those concepts I'm going to be using on a daily basis. You talk about enjoying it and worthwhile work. Mm -hmm. Is there a certain, as you picked up more and more of those classes, there a time or a certain class that made you realize that's what you wanted to do? Yeah. I think the more you interact with the students, something I realized, and it took me a long time to actually come to peace with it. As a mom, it was so important for me to be a big part of my children's lives and do everything I could do. And it took me a while to figure out that not everybody had the means or the abilities to do that for their children. So sometimes I would have students who come to me and I would I would tell them, oh, you're going to go for this job interview, make sure you dress properly and this is how you're supposed to dress. And they would say, 
thank you for doing that because nobody has ever taught me how to dress. Mm. So little stuff, little skills that you take for granted if you were always exposed to it or I would teach my children. So it gave me a lot of joy that they would come to me and actually share that information and and let me know later on. I mean, I'm, I have, it's kind of funny because I have two Facebook pages because I, I live away, you know, I'm far away from my family. And, but I have one just for my students okay. when I connect with me and I have students there from 15 years ago. So I have seen them graduate, get changed, different jobs, mm-hmm. get married, have children, and they still stay connected and every so often they message. And those relationships are priceless. And, and I really appreciate that. But then again, as a woman teaching in an environment, very diverse that many times you know many students newcomers english is their second language mm-hmm. accents, language barriers cultural barriers just seeing somebody that could look like them mm-hmm. and sound like them and still be able to be successful many of them need that need that role model mm-hmm. so that has been an extremely satisfying intrinsic rewards for me in a sense to keep me going because no job is easy and trust me teaching is you don't do teaching for them you do the teaching for the love of teaching but that has been something that kept me going and I appreciate to have the opportunity to do it if you're competitive driven and curious it's time to consider a professional sales opportunity that your future self will thank you for With an unmatched training program and a tradition of elevating our people, Memory Blue has helped hundreds of successful professionals launch lucrative tech sales careers. You will grow highly marketable skills through ongoing mentorship from seasoned sales leaders while showcasing your abilities for tech industry royalty and some of the hottest startups around. And you'll do it all surrounded by driven, like-minded colleagues immersed in our award-winning company culture. As your tenure progresses, you will attract a host of career options. This includes moving up internally or venturing out into the tech industry, where tech companies pay a premium for Memory Blue experience. We have immediate openings in our offices from coast to coast. Visit memoryblue.com SDR and apply today. Well, I, I want to talk a lo- about culture. Okay. Particularly, you, you're world-traveled. Uh huh. Born in Iran. Uh huh. Didn't spend some time in Pakistan. A couple of years in Pakistan. Pakistan. Uh-huh. Then, then to Canada. Uh huh. Then to West Texas. Yes. Then into Dallas, yes. which I'm sure you've, you're taking a little bit along the way from each location and each uh-huh. culture. I, mean, I share with the listeners about your what you shared with the audience about kind of having the Mexican culture. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I have a funnier story that I didn't share the other day during the presentation. Culture is very, very exclusive. I mean, you need to be, you need to be very careful when you are not part of the culture mm-hmm. or when you're describing the culture. And so teaching at UTEP, 85% of popular, 85% of my students were probably Hispanic. Mm-hmm. And there were times I, I did a lot of my research when I was in graduate in graduate school in marketing to Hispanic. So I was very, very familiar with the culture. Of course, I was living in El Paso for a long time. I lived there for 18 years. And so I used to joke and say, guys, I know I'm not supposed to joke about another culture, but I look Hispanic. Mm-hmm. I lived in El Paso. My sister-in-law is Mexican. 
do I qualify <laughs> to joke without you guys being offended? So it was fun. And they would always say, yes, go for it, go for it. And then finally, one day I was talking about, this is really funny. We were talking about jalapenos. And I said, you know, to me, jalapeno is just a jalapeno. And one student raised his hand and said, professor, up to today, I considered you a Mexican. But now that you say jalapeno is just a jalapeno, no, you're no And it's funny because a week later, a group of students made me a plaque <laughs> that it said I was an honorary Hispanic. Okay. And I belong to the Mexican subculture <laughs> and I qualified to talk about it. So I have it in my office. Oh, wow. So anytime that somebody talks about it, I say, you know what? I'm an honorary Hispanic and I'm an honorary Mexican. So I can actually tell jokes without people being upset. Right. <laughs> but it's those kind of connections mm-hmm. that you make as you go along the way. And, um, uh, Yes, um, I mean, the first time I had Mexican food in my life was in El Paso. So to me, I don't know any other Mexican food except for the Northern Mexico. And I'm very passionate about my Mexican food. <laughs> well, and that, that cultural intelligence is so important in sales. Absolutely. We talked some yesterday afternoon about this. How have you incorporated into the classroom and to, to each semester? So UTD also is a very special school in a sense that we have students from more than 100 different countries. Wow. There are very few schools that you can say that. And if you look at our students in the classroom, it's so diverse, not just in terms of male, female, you know, racial differences, just being from religious differences, background differences. It's incredible now. It's beautiful because the students are smart and they're creative and you can do all kinds of experiments. But then at the same time, as a professor, people have different learning abilities, different learning styles and Mm -hmm. culture adds to that. So in order for you to be able to adjust and adapt and also help them understand that every job does not look like these. Mm -hmm. You may go to a job that could be very homogeneous and you kind of need to understand that. You need to have, you, you need to really do your research ahead of time and say, is this a specific company, a right company for me? Am I going to feel comfortable? Are they going to welcome me? What kind of culture? And that culture, I'm not just talking about company culture. It, it, there is a whole bunch that goes into company culture. But then also understanding that many times misunderstanding happens, not because people really want to insult each other or misunderstand, just because you really don't know. Mm-hmm. And the first step to do that is let's talk about it. And I have, so I have just come up with this activity and I'm doing it in class. And every semester that I do it, I think it gets better because I know how to deliberate and Mm -hmm. students give me feedback. So I adjust it. And that's also something that I have always done every semester. I look back at my students' evaluation at the end of semester and I tell them, I also do it, actually, I do a mid-semester evaluation because end of semester, they are gone and there is nothing I can change. Mm-hmm. Mid-semester, I tell them what's working, what's not working. And I don't promise that I can change stuff, but I can definitely try and adjust if there is something I can do. So students appreciate that. And then end of semester, I really look at the overall. I mean, you always have the, the extremes at either end, but I look at the, the large group of students, the responses that they give me as what assignment worked, what didn't work. And overwhelmingly, they love this cultural intelligence activity. Um, 
And they say, keep it and add to it. The problem is I'm teaching intro to sales class and mm -hmm. there's a lot of other stuff that I have to teach. So I cannot spend more than one class time at the moment. But we keep coming back to it as you're doing role plays or looking at different type of buyers mm -hmm. or buyer personas and those kind of stuff. So we keep adding to it. And just the fact that they have the awareness that many times we... Because we see the world through our own eyes and our own experiences mm -hmm. and our own perceptions, many times it's our own biases that causes us to misinterpret stuff. It's not somebody else's behavior, it's the way I interpreted their that behavior. So just talking about it, and I'm not perfect at it. I keep reading and I keep, as I said, tweaking the assignment and every class is different. Sometimes I get classes that people come from very, very different cultures or from different countries that you would think there is nothing in common. Mm -hmm. You'd be surprised how much more in common than countries that are closer to each other. Mm -hmm. So it's just really interesting. It has been a learning experience for, for me as well as the students. And I'm just happy that I'm able to do it and the students are enjoying it. Yeah. yeah. You talk about tweaking, uh -huh. you know, 17 total years teaching sales. Yes. Is that right? Sales and marketing courses, yes. yeah, marketing management, yeah, all, uh, all of those. <laughs> on like chemistry or history, or maybe you can just run it back from the previous semester, right? You gotta, you gotta be agile. You gotta change quickly. How often do you change the syllabus? And, and what's every the semester? Every semester. <laughs> every semester, at least something gets changed. And of course, COVID, <laughs> COVID was rough because many students had taken classes online before COVID, but many of us as faculty had never taught mm. online. So that was a real challenge. And for me, at semester that we went online, I was teaching sales courses. And I didn't know any other way of teaching sales except for the one that I had done in the classroom. So we had to adjust really quick. So I decided to do uh, my online classes just the same way I do it in class. Okay. I would get up, they would be on, I would have them turn on their cameras. It was a lot, like it was extremely exhausting because I would create break. I mean, I had we had to learn technology and we had to learn how to use that technology to be effective teachers. And I would create a breakout rooms and then I had to go from one breakout rooms to the other. And then sometimes the Zoom would, or the, we were using Microsoft Name, it would kick you out. And then I had to figure out how to go back to my own class. And so it, it was a challenge, but we made it work and students appreciated it because many faculty did recording of their lessons and put it up and then they would do stuff on their own and during COVID because many of us didn't have really interactions with other people they appreciated that they could at least come on Zoom and see other people and talk to real people so the feedback for that was good but I hope I never have to teach any, any change that you made during COVID that you kept since because you yes. did it so well Yes. One thing I found I used to show some videos every so often in class mm -hmm. and we would discuss it but just like anything else, people would be kind of zoning out, not paying attention. And during COVID, I would have a watcher just because at the beginning, I didn't figure out how to actually <laughs> do the video live during class. So they would watch it ahead of time and then they would go in and do the discussion board. And those discussions were so much more meaningful when they have to actually type it up, even if it meant two sentences, it was mm -hmm. meaningful comments rather than what they did in class so I kept that I kept that 
And uh, and the students pay better attention that does not have the elements I can. Well, it, you do more than just coach or teach in a classroom, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I think it'd be helpful for our listeners to know all the other things you do outside of the classroom, the coaching, the sales competitions, yeah. et cetera. And what drew you to, to, to do that? So when I joined UTD, we already, Dr. Dober had already started a sales program. And that was great because the foundation was there. It was a smaller program. We keep adding classes and the started taking on different sales competition and these sales competitions are now everywhere but we we, we cannot be everywhere so we pick and choose where we mm-hmm. go the beauty of taking students to a sales competition it's a really transformational experience mm-hmm. many of them have never had the opportunity to do something like this now on my side, there is a lot of coaching and I, I'm very hands-on. I, I like to see everything from start to finish. And that has also been a process because when you do it for work, this is people, you know, if this is the job, people pay attention to it because their paycheck depends on it. Sure. When you're doing it in class, it's like, oh, I had to take this class. Now you're making me do extra work. But for those who choose to do and we have a process in terms of how students get selected to do certain sales competitions. But when they understand the type of training that they have to go through in order for them to be ready for those sales competitions, many of them who were excited may say, oh, no, maybe not. And mm-hmm. others are like, this is great. This is, this is so much extra work that I have to do, but I like the learning. Oh, uh, yeah. So. And then we have added stuff. I mean, I have them sign a contract that they tell me exactly what days we're going to meet at what time, what are extra stuff that they have to do outside that time frame. If they have to submit a video, how many videos? The first four weeks, you send me a video a week. We get to the last four weeks. Those are two videos coming in. I watch them. The, the student coach watches them. We give them feedback. We come back to class, to the meeting and we talk about it. So there is a lot of learning. And then to see the first videos in comparison to the last videos is day and night. Mm-hmm. Now, these sales competitions, and then we, of course, we have our own, these are external. We also have our internal sales competitions that any of our students get to participate okay. if they are part of the class. And we practice for those during, during class. So it's not extra work. But again, many of them have never done, and we cannot take... 200 students to outside sales competitions but when they have internal they have all the opportunities and many of them up to that point they don't even know that they enjoy it as much Mm -hmm. but when they get the recognition or they receive the feedback from the partners that they come to judge those events they're just so fascinated and so delighted that they had the ability and they could do it Mm -hmm. and for many of them, that just changed the trajectory of their career. Right. And I've actually started to do something new. I'm printing all the emails that my students are sending me or all the LinkedIn messages that they send me after like three, four years. And they say, oh, do you remember when you said that or we did that activity in class? And some of them I don't even do in class. And they're like, I'm actually using it every day at work. And I'm like, okay, but do you remember when you used that word? I taught that to my manager and now we use that every day. Wow. So much fun for them to remember. Yeah. And I've had, 
I actually just submitted something for work. And I know that in the past 10 years, I've had more than 1,800 students. So I cannot- 1,800. So I cannot possibly remember every name or every event that happened. So sometimes I see a name and I'm like, that sounds extremely familiar, but I can't remember. And it's incredible that they can remember such details from class and conversation. So I'm sort of printing them. Maybe I turn it into some sort of books or something. That'd be great. <laughs> well, I need to ask. So how does that make you feel? It makes me feel awesome. What's this better than that, right? Um, it's a humbling feeling, I should say. I'm very humbled by it. Mm -hmm. Let's just put it that way. But at the same time, I love my students and I bend backward for them. And I tell them that from the beginning. And I'm a firm believer that education does not have to be boring. So I teach my classes the same way I would train somebody at work. We have discussions. They talk about it. We learn from each other. And... Um, something that I have changed since two years ago. Nobody likes to be part of a winner, loser. I mean, you like to be a winner, but you don't like to be part of a loser yeah. team. And I have changed that loser term to learner. And so there are days that we are working on a project. There is a semester long project that we work on is a prospecting project. And they need guidance and coaching every day on that mm -hmm. in order for them to get better. I mean, some, some of them of course, just like anything else, some of them pick it up really quickly. Some need more help. So we talk about it all the time. And then I bring it to class and I'm like, somebody who had success, if you sent five emails and received five responses back, what did you say? How did you say? Who did you? So they learn a lot from each other. Mm -hmm. And if I have somebody who was an overachiever that day, they become the winner. And I'm like, who's my learner? Mm -hmm. And now I have the students who actually raise their hand and they say, I'm the learner too. <laughs> I learned something. Because if I call a loser, they would never learn anything. Right. Right. So sometimes it's the little things that you do in the classroom that really makes a difference. And I want the students to know that they are in a safe environment, that they can politely and respectfully express themselves and learn from each other. And this is a safe place. So that has been a students at least based on the feedback that i received they really enjoyed it that's great well you've totally by repositioning it to learner versus a loser people are quick to volunteer yeah. that they're the learners yeah and then the entire class gets to benefit and maybe not learn the same lesson for sure which is incredibly helpful I mean, this past few days that we've been talking about technology we know how quick is things change mm -hmm. and there is no way for one person to be able to catch up with all the changes that happen so many times the students come to class and they say i'm not familiar with every app that's out there and some of them are using certain apps and go, oh i use this app to do my prospecting and i was able to meet this specific individual and now we're starting a business together and i'm like Wow. So it was an app that I never knew. And then we were able to announce it in class and for everybody else to use it. Well, let's talk technology. I know you guys do a lot of new strategies and kind of cutting edge when it comes to technology. It's been a great week with you all here in Orlando, but I feel like at times it's been a chat GP conference. Mm -hmm. right? yes. So yes. what have you been That's the theme. What yeah. have you been doing from a chat GP standpoint? Not much, but actually today that we had our final sessions of creating an assignment, I think I came up with an assignment, which I'm going to play with. So one thing I do, I experiment with a lot of different assignments. Again, I have very smart students, but I go to class and I say, guys, I came up with this 
new assignment. I'm not really sure how it's going to work. I'm, I'm thinking you're going to like it, but let's just play with it. And then you give me feedback. And that's usually how I fine tune a lot of assignments that I do in class. So now I'm planning just because I think this new technology, just like anything else, when it comes at the beginning, it could be scary. And many of us think, oh, what are we going to do? What's going to happen? It's here and it's going to get better and it's here to stay. So I have to kind of embrace it and somehow incorporate it in class and, and use that to help students get better at what we are already doing. So that's my goal. I can let you know by next semester if the, the assignment's actually working, but I'm, and I'm planning to actually have them bring their laptop, put stuff into chat GPT. Let's see what we get and then compare to what we would have done without it and see how it goes. Goes back to that yeah. change quickly and being agile, right? This, I mean, or students, they're fast learners. Mm -hmm. They were, they went through COVID. They were able to mm -hmm. pick up. Now, COVID also contributed to some other behaviors. I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> but they're, they are, they're pretty quick learners. So I think they're not going to have a hard time adjusting. Yeah. Yeah. So imagine you're talking to a, a student who's considering uh, en enrolling in a sales program. Mm -hmm. What would you say to that student? I do those talks every single day. I'm sure. That's that's part of my job. <laughs> I have students who come to my office, many of them not knowing what they want to do. Mm -hmm. They're thinking, okay, I like this class. I like the material. And we talk about it. I'm very honest with them. First of all, I ask them, what do you want to do? Where do you hope to be in the next few years? You know, what would you like to achieve? And then I'm very honest. Sales, just like any other job, is not for everybody. Mm -hmm. So the sooner you figure out if this is something you want to do, the better. But knowing that such a large percentage of marketing majors, business majors, go at least their first job is in sales, mm -hmm. I wanted to at least give themselves the opportunity to take classes to be better prepared mm -hmm. because the last thing you want to do is get a job. Your paycheck depends on it and you have to start from scratch mm -hmm. where other people are coming from different programs that they are way ahead of you. They have used technology. They know exactly how to ask questions. They know different models. And that's usually how we get the cover. I, I never push them. I don't think anybody needs to be pushed into anything, but if I see, because sometimes they may not necessarily see it in mm -hmm. themselves. It's also very cultural. I also understand that some people say, "Oh, I come from a culture." I come from a culture that either you became a doc, you became doctor, you became engineer. That's why I chose engineering. <laughs> and they're like, if my parents find out that I chose to go into sales, they're not going to be happy. <laughs> and I tell them, I'm like, you know, I'm never going to tell you as a parent. I'm never as as an outsider. I'm not going to tell you do something against your parents. Right you know, wish for you. But at the same time, you really have to be honest with yourself and say, where do you want to go? And you need to understand that B2B sales is very different. The way we are approaching sales is very different than what your perception of sales might be. Mm -hmm. So I think a large portion of any new class for the intro class, at least, I spend the time on kind of overcoming that perception because people have that image of 
and I'm not going to disrespect anybody, but maybe some of the salespeople that they have dealt with mm-hmm. they were not happy, very pushy, hard sell, old style. Mm-hmm. And that is not what we are teaching. Mm-hmm. We are teaching trust-based selling. We are making sure that they understand that sales definitely opens up doors for achieving higher positions if mm-hmm. that's what they want to do. Or if they want to stay, you know, always in such a position, you can, you can certainly do that. But definitely. so one of the assignments we do in class, I have them go and actually talk to individuals in the industry, not oh. necessarily sales in this sales, but I have them, whatever they're interested in. And I tell them, I said, I promise you, if you talk to many of these people in a position of power, whether they're in management or CEOs, ask them what was their first job. <laughs> Many of them, the first job they started is sales opened up the door for them mm-hmm. because sales helps you understand the product, understand the market, understand the customers, understand your competitors, and more than anything, your interpersonal skills. And those are all transferable skills and knowledge you can take and then take it somewhere else. And our students are pretty young. I said, you graduate when you're 20, 21, you do this for two years, three years. This is not what you want to do. What do you have to do? So you have gained all this knowledge, but it's also important. I also tell them, choose a company that's right for you. Mm-hmm. Sell a product that's right for you mm-hmm. because it is not easy to work for a company that you don't fit in. Mm-hmm. And it is not easy to sell a product that you are not, you don't believe in. Mm-hmm. When you talk about preparing your students, uh-huh. what's something that, that you do or you teach now that you're like, and when I entered the family business years ago, I wish I knew that. A lot of stuff. <laughs> oh my goodness. First of all, today we were talking about prospecting and, and somebody says, so when you started, what was, where did you get your prospects? It was yellow pages. Mm-hmm. Trust me, it was yellow pages. Mm-hmm. The big, thick one. And then you would sit through and you start making. Actually, the very, very first time that I used yellow pages and I started calling people. I was working for a nonprofit organization. And that's what we did. I picked up the phone and I started dialing. And I did that for like three months, day in and day out. And it was rough. Mm-hmm. Like It was very hard. So... I wish some of the technology that's available right now was available back then. I wish I had more coaching. I wish I was open to the idea that I could end up in sales because many people say, oh, one day I want to own my own business. I'm not going into sales. I'm like, if you're going to own your own business, you're in sales 24-7. There is no escaping. (laughs) So many people really have that news understanding of what sales is like for them many times just selling one product or one service for a big company and that is not what sales is and that's the beauty of it there is so many variety of jobs that you can choose that fits your personality better you talk a little bit about technology i, I want to uh, talk about how you share that with your students mm-hmm. uh, one thing that really impresses me about all the sales programs and all the folks here at the sales educators academy is how it's constant innovation, yeah. constant innovation and collaboration and comparing notes. And I'd put D Dallas at the, at the top of that list. What are some of the things that your students get exposed to mm-hmm. when they're taking your classes and, and how does that prepare them for once they leave the classroom and enter, in, 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 enter into industry? So 
when we teach the intro class, of course, this is a class that's a core class for all the marketing majors, people from supply chain, finance, global business, even, even people. I have students who are biomedical major that are taking that class because it sounds fun. It's a sales class. <laughs> but that said, many of them don't know that they're going to end up in sales. Mm-hmm. So I introduce some, te- I can't do everything, but mm-hmm. I introduce some technology that are basic and I make them do certain activities. Again, for the same reason that if you happen to get a job in sales, or even if you get a job in something else, the fact that you can go on LinkedIn Navigator because everybody we get access to everybody. You can go on LinkedIn Navigator and you can look up people and use the filters and really narrow down your list and then send a message and send a good message. Those are the skills you can use for so many different things besides sales. We also have them exposed to Salesforce. They can learn how to use Salesforce. You're not going to be experts after the first class, but at least they have that exposure. Sure. I have them do the, the trailhead modules on their own. Again, these students are very tech savvy in a sense that they are used to doing self-paced modules. Mm-hmm. They get to do that. They for some for my students that I take them like a sales competition, you know, we use chorus so they can get feedback immediately. Mm-hmm. And then I can do call coaching that. software. Some of those, yep. not much, but just as much as we can. Mm-hmm. So they when they go get a job, they are ahead of them. Oh, so, way ahead. Yeah. Way ahead. Yeah, we want them to be, you know, native in at least, you know, navigator and at least being able to find people and sending right. those emails and stuff. So, so yeah. And then when they kind of progress through the program and they go into advance and they get the full access to uh, Salesforce and they really do become comfortable mm-hmm. using the platform. Now, later on, many of them may work for a company that has Salesforce, even if they are not in a sales position, even, you know, sure. marketing other areas. Or they may use a different variation of a CRM. At least now they know what it means or mm-hmm. what it looks like rather than going to a job interview and they say, oh, have you ever had exposure to CRM? And people don't even know what that is. Right. So, so that said, we want them to have all those exposures and then we use different technology in different classes. But for me, I do the majority of the intro classes, at least for the moment. You've talked a couple of times today about being a mom in sales. Uh-huh. Right? I'm a parent. Chris is a parent. The parents that are listening, what have you taken from sales and applied to parenting? <laughs> the process. Yeah. Asking good questions and then dealing, overcoming objections. One thing I learned, being a good listener and being okay with silence I think we, many of us have problem with being okay with silence. So I have learned that sometimes I say things when I'm negotiating with, when, I mean, my kids are now older, but I'm, when they were little, when I'm negotiating, I would say things and I go silent. And then they knew that was serious and they were not supposed to. <laughs> so there are little stuff that you can take, but the other way around in the classroom, I also understand that My students, many of them work, 75% of my students almost, they work. They are juggling a lot of things, school, work, family, everybody has something that they are dealing with. And they also need to know I'm there to help. 
And I tell them from the beginning, if there is something that I can help you with, just come to me. If I can help, I will. If not, there are resources that the school has that I can give you. Again, many of them being from different cultures, they don't even know that they can do that. Mm-hmm. And um, so I make sure that my office is nice and cozy enough that they feel comfortable coming in. Mm-hmm. And there are little things. The other we talk about a little but staying positive because sales, there is a lot of rejection. It can get tough. There is competition. There is a lot of pressure on you to meet your quota and then do this and always do more. So learning how to deal with rejection and being positive is something that many of us we never learn. So in class, I talk about it. And actually last two weeks ago, somebody sent me a message and said, that day in class when you said, make sure you sleep, that made a difference for me. Who knew? <laughs> so, and I know I always, especially in the middle of semester that midterms are hitting and they have a lot of stuff that they have to. It's, it's strange to think that they need a reminder to go to sleep because they're just working, working, mm-hmm. working. And, and you need that for your brain to actually shut down a little and relax and so you can energize yourself so so little stuff yeah so you just struck a chord with me how much do you think positivity is cultural i don't have a percentage for that right um, or does it do you think it's all at all related could be depending okay. on how much pressure or mm-hmm. how we learn how to deal with stuff mm-hmm. It is, I feel that I need to be very careful in terms of what I say, because mm-hmm. these days with all the challenges with mental health, mm-hmm. I'm so happy that we talk about mental mm-hmm. health because it is important. It is necessary. There are situations that people are facing mental health. They're facing it alone. They don't know how to seek help, that they really, really do need professional help. Mm-hmm. And there are other times that people have just need to learn how to deal with challenges. It's not always, life is not always rosy and cherry. Things are not always going to go your way. Right. And understanding the difference that if I'm going to a really rough patch, doesn't mean that life is going to be like that forever. And how can I do, what can I do? What kind of resources can I use in order for me to get through this and let me come up stronger is important. So sometimes just knowing that they can come and talk to a faculty and know that faculty can understand. I had a student, this is just last semester. I come in I, and I go to work very early morning. I, they had a major assignment due at the end of semester and if they don't turn it in, they can technically fail the class. But I knew something happened the night before with Turnitin, so some of the papers did not get submitted. Mm -hmm. I actually sent a message out and I said, something happened with Turnitin. So for those of you who were not able to get the paper in, it's okay. I get to the office by 7.30 in the morning. I have a student sitting behind, uh, behind my door, sobbing. Like he was shaking so bad because his paper did not go through and he thought he failed the class. And first thing I did, I calmed him down. I gave him a hug. I said, it's okay. Like he couldn't stand on his feet. Mm. That's how bad he was crying. And we talked about it. And he, when he left, he couldn't understand that I understood. 
and and I felt bad because I always said in class, it's okay if things go mm-hmm. wrong, we can we can fix it. But going back to the cultural aspects, mm-hmm. I mean, he came from a culture that there is a lot of emphasis on education. Mm-hmm. You don't question faculty, you mm-hmm. don't you don't question authority. So he thought that was it; it was out of his control. Mm-hmm. So maybe that has some. But again, I haven't done any kind of research mm-hmm. on it. Or I haven't read anything on it to say that there is a direct correlation. But there are some studies that say some countries or people are happier and more positive or whatever. But I don't know what they base that right. on. <laughs> Well, one other thing that you shared this week that I, I would love for you to explain to the listeners is the concept of melting pot versus the tossed salad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was interesting, like the feedback that I got, because the concept of, to me, the concept of melt, I think culture is such an enduring factor that, yes, the more you go through acculturation or the more you travel or you more get exposure, it can change a little. But there's certain, like we talked about the core values, some of those core values may never change, mm-hmm. even if you get exposed. You can respect somebody else. You can probably just, just close your mouth, not say anything if you see something that you don't like. But at the same time, you may not necessarily change your core values or your culture. So sometimes the concept of melting pot or at least the exposure that I had to or sometimes the conversation I had with people is, oh, you're in this country, it is a melting pot. Mm-hmm. You need to become part of this melting pot. But the point is, yes, and I really want to, and I think it's important. Any country, not just just mm-hmm. like I say, any country that you go to, if you are not from that country, in order for you to be able to kind of get along with people, get welcomed into the actually some countries that are more homogeneous and I have gone to those countries that you are an outsider. It, mm-hmm. It's so much harder to, to become part of mm-hmm. the, the community. So the, the, the quicker you learn the language, the quicker you learn the custom, the quicker you start maybe dressing the same way, the quicker you start just, just little things that they do in the country and respect that, the, the faster people are going to welcome you in. And some countries more than others. But here in the U.S. to say, oh, you're part of this melting pot. Now you have to forget everything about your culture or you become this. It's a little hard to do. So I thought the concept of tossed salad was more realistic in terms of in a tossed salad, you're just tossing everything, the, the lettuce and tomatoes and cucumbers and whatever. And they keep their identity in a way. But mm-hmm. as a whole, it becomes a whole new dish by itself. So I, I could, that kind of resonates more with me. Than, and people can argue with me all day long. Look. And I respect that idea. So it kind of resonates more. I think it's great. I think it was great. I think it's great. And then I think it would also be helpful. What advice would you give to a salesperson who is tasked with selling to a different culture? Because the world has become much more yes. international and global. And and there's going to be salespeople who are going to have to sell to a different culture. For sure. And you you studied marketing, right? Yeah, my, so- my, actually, my master's in international business. So just based on personal experience. Mm-hmm. First thing is being open to the idea of people are similar, but they're different. Mm-hmm. Let's understand the similarities. Let's understand the differences. But that doesn't happen easy. Because that requires a whole range of cultural understanding, language understanding. And that may not happen. I mean, sometimes you're reaching different territories and in this territory, you're dealing with this culture and then that culture. So it's kind of hard to become expert in every single one of them. 
being open to it, really going in without any judgment or assumption, I would say. Even a country that's within a region that, for example, all of them could be Spanish speakers doesn't mean that specific country speaks Spanish. Maybe they speak Portuguese, maybe they speak something else. The same thing. Don't make assumptions. Learn, really learn, mm -hmm. and then be open to it. And be you, you still have to be very authentic to yourself. You are who you are. But also, like I did that activity the other day, many times it's our own biases that we are thinking of something as right or wrong or mm -hmm. and it's not the other person is me let me figure that and learn just learn and ask question but you have to ask question in a right way we talk about that in class sometimes and i tell students one of my pet peeves is when somebody meets me for the first time never talked before the first thing they tell me is where are you from mm. Now, I happen to come from another country, but I can look like this and was born here. Sure. And be from here. Yeah. When you ask that question, it, it's kind of making an assumption that just because I look like this, I have to be from another. Again, it all depends on how you're asking. Just like in sales, it's mm -hmm. all in the delivery, how you ask it. And so I usually don't recommend that to be the first question you ask somebody mm -hmm. you meet from another country. Give them a chance. Let's get to know them. Let's say, talk about other stuff. And then you can, then maybe that can bring, be brought up. <laughs> so well, there, I got two things. The first thing I want to ask of you is what makes home home? Mm. And the reason why I ask is you, when you were explaining to me Toronto, you said that's home. Yeah. Why is Toronto home based on where you've lived and over the yeah. course of your life? So all my family lives in Toronto. So that's what so that's. It's that's, the people. That's home in a way that I miss going to Toronto. Just the same, like I miss going to my parents' house, okay. for example, or seeing my sisters. But if I have to choose a place to call home, home as my immediate home right now, Dallas is home. Texas is home. Okay. Texas is, is a place that I've spent more than half of my life. Right. Mm -hmm. So so Texas is home. That's where I have so like my own adult life memories. And so do I see myself living anywhere else? I'm not sure. Okay. I love Texas. I love Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Very interesting. And then it'd be, I think it'd be helpful if you would share with the listeners the exercise you had us walk through about culture uh -huh. and kind of the threes, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the three to five things. Uh-huh. So in that activity, I have students think about three to five aspects of their culture that they think helps them in the business world. Mm -hmm. And then three to five things that could potentially hinder the relationship in the business world. Again, we are looking at the world through our own lenses, mm -hmm. our own perceptions. Sometimes I may think the fact that in my culture, there is a lot of respect for elderly is a good thing. That that should always be a good thing in the business world because mm -hmm. I can see somebody older than me and I'm respecting them and they appreciate it. I actually found it a few times that was a negative thing mm -hmm. because one, I had a hard time telling them they were wrong. Well, to begin with, I had a hard time calling them by the first name sure. because they were older. I, that was not the way I was raised or my culture. And then second, I couldn't tell them they were wrong. And because I couldn't say that, they assumed 
that everything that they were saying, I agreed with. So that could, that, that took a little bit for me to get over. So those are some examples and every culture is different. And just for you to understand that, oh, so it wasn't that other person really, it wasn't their fault. The misinterpretation happened because I gave in so much and I should have stopped at that some point. So little things that sometimes make a difference. You actually talked about the fact that when you were we were talking about sales and changing that people like to buy people products or services from people that they like. Mm-hmm. Now, I think if you like somebody, then it's not going to guarantee that they're going to buy from you. But if you dislike somebody, I promise well, you, they buy from you. So, and disliking somebody is something that doesn't take much. Right. It's, it's a little thing, gestures, body language, stuff that they say that could make a difference in terms of whether I want to do business with somebody or not. So I think it's, it's important. And we may be in a location that there isn't much diversity or we don't have to really deal with that, but that doesn't mean we are not going to go work for a company that has diversity. That doesn't mean you're not going to have clients that are very diverse that we need to understand that. So I don't think there is any escaping the world. I don't think it's going to get smaller and smaller in a sense. At least that's my belief. Very good. Very good. Well, Samira, this has been fantastic. I mean, we've covered a lot today and I appreciate everything that you do at University of Texas, Dallas and all the other members of the Sales Educators Academy who come in and are just constantly innovating and looking at things from a variety of different standpoints, whether it be technology changes, whether it be cultural impact, Mm -hmm. just all, all across the gamut, all in the advancement of developing the next generation of sales professional. So I really appreciate you sharing your wisdom Thank with our you. listeners. This has been a lot, this been a lot of fun. Absolutely. Yes, I appreciate it. Very good. Thank you. Memory Blue alumni, are you looking for your next top performing SDR with the competitive drive, hustle mentality, and passion for sales that you can bank on? The Rising Stars program connects accomplished Memory Blue SDRs with alumni looking to expand their teams. Rising Stars have completed their SDR journey with us and are chomping at the bit to land a new and exciting high-tech sales opportunity. They've been professionally trained, coached, and mentored, thriving in the very environment where you launched your career. Alumni like you hire Memory Blue Rising Stars because they can rest easy knowing they're hiring the best in the business. Learn how you can access this unique pool of sales talent by heading to memoryblue.com alumni. For listening to Tech Sales is for Hustlers. Please subscribe and leave a five star review after the beep.